We are going to be in 1 Peter this morning as we continue our journey through that book of the Bible. And this morning, I have combined the last two sermons since I wasn't able to preach last week, and I want us to stay on schedule for what we have planned for the year and what our music team and Kenny leading them, what they're preparing musically then I have combined these two, and then tonight when we come back for worship, then we will look at some of the details that I was going to discuss the last Sunday and this Sunday morning that I'm going to have to not focus on for time's sake. And so we are going to start in First Peter chapter 1, verse 10, and, and the, the title of the sermon this morning is Hope Should Lead to Holiness. Hope Should Lead to Holiness. And this is evident throughout First Peter. This was evident in the first um, few sermons that we looked at in First Peter, and it's evident here today. Uh, we, we have seen already that Peter is writing this letter, this series of exhortations or this, this written sermon, whatever, however you view it. He is writing this letter to a group of people who have been uh, dispersed, that have been scattered, who are experiencing persecution. Uh, We don't know the depths of that persecution, whether the persecution is simply that they are not uh, able to be in heaven yet, and so they're experiencing many of the same things that we experience today, or whether they're experiencing something more, which is hinted at throughout the letter. Uh, We're not for sure, but, but we know that even in the midst of that, that they were to have hope. And if you remember verse 3, blessed be the God and our Father, or be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because according to his great mercy. So even in the midst of the suffering, they were looking to hope. And this thread of hope continues as we begin in verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Concerning this salvation... This salvation being the salvation that he mentioned in verses 3 through 9. This salvation that is imperishable, undefiled, kept for us in heaven. This salvation that is complete and yet not, and, and at the same time, it's not yet complete. It, it's, we talked about how in one moment when we put our faith in Jesus, we are saved. We are justified. We are made right with God. And yet the Bible also talks about, First Peter also talks about, how there is a process of even after that moment of salvation of him saving us, of him making us more and more into his image, sanctifying us, that he has set us apart for a purpose, and he is helping us to become more like him while we're here on earth after our salvation and at the same time before that salvation is completed in the sense of we no longer experience sin or uh, suffering or pain or tears. And so that, that would be that last part is our salvation one day. It's, we're looking forward to the fact that it will be complete. And the reason I'm repeating this this morning is because concerning this salvation is the way he begins this section and this paragraph. And he says concerning this salvation, the salvation that I just mentioned, the salvation that Christ gave his life for, the salvation that is in three parts, the salvation that we can have deep hope in because it awaits us uh, one day when, when Jesus will return and he will make that salvation complete and he will make all things right. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. 
Now, the prophets, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you know this, are uh, many, there are many prophets mentioned in the Old Testament especially, and they um, would go around and they would say, the word of the Lord says, and they would say what God said. It was God speaking through them. They are his vessel. And as we will see as we continue to read this, they didn't always know what the full extent of the meaning was for what they were saying. They were just saying what the Lord had told them to say. And so, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Okay, so we today are able to know that we can be saved because of what Jesus Christ did in the past. It's a fixed event in time. It's, it's already happened. It's over and done with. He has already died. He has already come back to life. He is, has already ascended, and he will return in the future. So he's done those things in the past, and he will return in the future. And we can look back and we know that we can have salvation because of what has already taken place. But the prophets, the ones from before Christ, they were looking forward. They were looking ahead into what they couldn't fully understand because it had not happened yet. They were trying to understand the very words God himself put into their mouths. Now they spoke them regardless of what they understood or not. They were to to say what God told them to say. And, and there, the people of Israel weren't just to blindly trust them. Um, they, it was to be backed up. They're, what they said was to be backed up by truth. And did these things come to pass? Did they really happen? And so, pardon me. And so as we look at the Old Testament, and we look at um, what the prophets look forward to, we need to keep that in mind from a New Testament perspective that as we look back to salvation and can see things more clearly than they could, they were looking forward to what God had promised. And it wasn't coming, the picture wasn't becoming very clear yet. And so, uh, what did they do since they didn't completely understand it? They just said, oh, well, it can't be understood and let's just go on. No, that's not exactly what was happening. If you read the verse here, In chapter 10, they searched and inquired carefully. So they said what God told them to say, but then they searched and acquired carefully. What does this mean? For example, Isaiah 53, what does this mean that there will be this person who is despised? What does it mean that he will be wounded? And we'll look at some of that tonight. Some of the Old Testament passages. Thank you, Kenny. And as we are considering what that might feel like to to exist, to live before Jesus as far as his birth here on earth, and to look ahead to what it might mean for him to come, can you imagine the confusion when they would read passages because the Old Testament gives us passages about this conquering king, this Messiah, this Savior, and it it makes it seem like in the Old Testament when you read some of those passages, if you're reading it in the context of the prophets, 
that the salvation was going to be for Israel, that it was that they were a, a king was going to come up in the lineage of David who would come back, who would be born on earth, and who would conquer the enemies, the earthly enemies of the Israelites, and Israel would be on top again. And that's what it appears. And in fact, when the disciples, Jesus' disciples, a lot of them thought that that's what they were getting when they were following Jesus. They were confused by some of the things he said about suffering. Because also, just at the same time as there are passages in the Old Testament about the, the uh, exaltation and the glory of this king that would be born, the Savior who would come, um, it's also clear in the Old Testament that that salvation that he's providing would come at a great cost. And that this same king would also be a suffering servant. He would be beaten. He would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be wounded because of our sins. And we see that. And so the prophets searched to see what it meant. And I'm here to encourage you today to know what the Bible says, to search it, to inquire carefully, to not just take someone's word at it. If you ever have a doubt of what I'm saying from a pulpit, good. Have your doubts. Then go to the scriptures and see if what I'm saying is true or not. See if what I'm saying is legitimately there and if I'm preaching the gospel to you, if I'm preaching God's word accurately to you. You should have that same um, outlook toward any preacher that you hear. Because you can hear, you can turn on your television and flip past three different preachers preaching on the same passage, and they could contradict each other greatly. So who's right? Well, the way for you to know that is for you to search and inquire carefully. And now we have, since if we are saved and, and since Christ is, has ascended, we have a relationship with him. Then we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, the teacher, the counselor, who is going to help us to understand what the word of God says. We have teachers and people that we respect in our life who can help us understand. But just as the prophets searched and inquired carefully, so should we. Verse 11. What did they inquire about? Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, as we just sang about, thank you for leading us in that, Kenny and the choir and our musicians. The same Spirit that prophesied through them about Jesus was the same spirit who, with Jesus, endured the sufferings and is the same spirit who will enjoy in the glory. And let's look at this verse carefully. So what were they searching? What were they inquiring what were, about the prophecies that they had given? They were inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So... They know what they said because they said it. But what 
was he meaning? When was this going to come to fruition, these prophecies that they talked about? Because if you read some of the prophecies of the Old Testament, there are hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. When the prophecies were given, some of them took hundreds of years to come to fruition. And so they were looking into it. The prophets were looking into what this was going, what this was saying and when this was going to happen, indicating the time when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It's both. Jesus was the suffering servant, and he was also the conquering king. He was wounded for our transgressions, and yet at the same time, he, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord according to Scripture. And so they were looking into it. They were digging into it. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing, to read your Bible, to study your Bible, to see what the Bible says about what is true. And and knowledge is important. It's not the end of all things. It is not the end of why we don't even gain knowledge for knowledge's sake. There's a purpose for it, and we'll talk about that as we continue. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving, or sorry, that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so what was revealed to them as they began to study? It was revealed to them that the things that they prophesied were not going to come to completion in their lifetime. And so as they were studying, what they were learning is that what God was speaking, they were just a small part in a bigger picture. And the same is true for us today. When you study God's word, when you study the prophecies that have been made about him, what you're going to learn is that your life, my life, is just a small piece of the puzzle. We're just a small part of what God is doing. And it's important for us to realize that, is that there is more to God's plan and his purpose than just what is happening to, for our benefit and in our timing and in the way we want it to. The last uh, couple of weeks were pretty difficult for me just being sick. And um, when you're sick and you're a big baby about it like me, it's easy to think, to to just completely be self-absorbed in the moment. You can't think outside, or I should say I didn't, maybe I could have, but I did not think outside of that moment. I just thought about the hamburger I would get to eat when my throat healed. I just thought about <clears throat> other things and future things. <clears throat> I did think a lot about the suffering that many of you have experienced and the suffering that some of my friends and family have experienced because comparatively what I went through is nothing compared to what some of you have gone through. And yet it was brutal and it was painful and it was uncomfortable and it was unpleasurable and uh, I didn't want to be in that situation. I didn't want to be in that moment. 
And I know that God is sovereign, and I know that he, that I didn't accidentally get sick, that my health is in his hands, and that if he desired to spare me by some miracle or heal me by some miracle, he could have in any moment. I completely uh, believe that. And so if God is sovereign and he knows all things and he is in control of all things, then I have to believe that he was going to use that for my good. But knowing that in that moment was not the most helpful thing for me because of maybe because of my lack of faith, not because of any uh, inadequacies of God, but because of my inadequacies. <coughs> Excuse me. And <clears throat> it was hard for me the last couple of weeks to think outside of myself in, in my situation in that moment. And here are these prophets who are experiencing, almost every single one of them, experiencing great suffering. They were experiencing persecution from the very people that they were trying to help. The, a lot of the prophets would, would preach to God's people, to their people, to the Israelites, and the Israelites would deny them. But it wasn't just the prophets that they were denying. It was the God who was speaking through the prophets. So when we know something to be true, and we choose love and we choose to be like Jesus, and people reject that, they're not just rejecting us. They are rejecting the message of God. They are rejecting God himself. And it was revealed to the prophets that what they were going through was part of a bigger picture. That that moment, as brutal as it was for them, there was a bigger picture. And they were just a cog in the whole machine. And that God knew what he was doing. And now I'm not trying to say they were insignificant. If they were insignificant, why do we still have what they were saying written for us today? They were extremely significant. Do you think if you take one gear out of a clock, it will affect things? Of course it will. We can be very significant and what God is trying to do, and yet, at the same time, insignificant compared to God in the big picture. He wants to use us. He desires to have a relationship with us. If you doubt that, then why did he send his son to die for us? He desires to know you. He desires to love you. He desires to use us and our sufferings and the good and the blessings, everything. He desires to use it all for his glory and for our good and and that's obvious as we read scripture but it's not all about us it's about something more it's about the big picture so rereading verse 12 and then moving on it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So how were they playing their part, and what, how did they, they fit into the bigger picture? Well, they were prophesying about Jesus. They were prophesying about the Lord who was to come. They were prophesying 
about what we now look back to. And the very reason we have an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus, that's what they were looking forward to and prophesying about. And these are things, I mean, just to, to think about these things, we get used to them because for many of us, we've heard them so many times, but they should still be mind-blowing. Why would God care about us enough to send his son to die for us? Think about us and, and our kids, for those of us who have children. Today is John Michael's eighth birthday. And to think about me giving John Michael's life for some criminal or some worthless person, like I was a worthless person, comparatively to Jesus. For me to think about giving my own son, I can't imagine it. And so how, just to use words that we can understand, I know that these aren't perfect, but how does God's mind work? How does that math add up? to where we are worth the life of his son. These are things that while we study and while we have some answers and we could sit down and discuss philosophically or theologically why he would do something like that, ultimately, how could he do something like that? How could love lead to that? And yet he did. And these are the things that they were prophesying about. These are the things into which angels long to look. You know that angels don't necessarily know the heart of God any more than we do. They don't have special revelation except what has been given to them. This is the same as us. And they don't know the future. Angels are not omniscient. They, don't, they can't look into the future like God can and know what's going to happen, because they're created beings just as we are. And so they long to look into these things just as we do. How did God work all this together? And how did he use suffering in his son in order to, to do these things? And not just how, but why. But he did. Therefore, verse 13, since we have this salvation, since it was given to us through this intricate plan that existed before the creation of time itself and before the creation of our universe, since all these things are true, since we have this salvation that prophets spoke about ages ago, that they were just playing a, a part that led to, uh, that prophesied about what Jesus was going to do, and that we are just playing a part now, in a similar way, looking back at what Jesus has done and telling others about what he has done, because that is true that our salvation is kept for us in heaven, because it is true that Jesus is who he says he is, because all those things are true, verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action. And now this isn't just... This isn't just... Um, all right, now think about this for a second. Get ready. No, this is get, get ready for battle, right? This is, uh, the King James translates it as, gird up the loins of your mind. And what that means is, is that back in the day, 
uh, during Jesus' time, people would wear these, uh, of course, they would have clothes on underneath, but they would wear this outer garment. And they couldn't exactly run in that outer garment or they would trip. Some of you ladies who have worn dresses know that it, it's not simple sometimes to run in a dress, depending on the dress. And so what they would have to do is that they would have to, the outer garment, they would bunch it up and they would bring it underneath and around and tie it up. And as it was tied up, then it freed them to be able to be more active. And this is what they had to do before they were going on a journey, long journey, if they were moving quickly or if they were fighting, for example, as this... um, Indicates Jesus used a similar passage uh, as he was speaking in, in, in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. This is saying, get ready. This is since you have been saved. Since many people have done work in the past that led to your salvation, the number one person being Jesus, since these things are true, prepare for action. And for, for us today, How many people played a part in you coming to know Jesus? How many people? How did God work that out? I mean, yes, someone led you to Christ, but who led that person to Christ? And who led that person to Christ? And who led that person to Christ? And often we talk about leading someone to Christ as if just in this one moment, all it took was one conversation. No, it was actions outside of them working toward that moment of their justification of them crying out to God for salvation, it was many, many, many things that led to that moment where they surrendered their life to Jesus, where, where God saved them. With that knowledge that he did that for you, that before you were even created, in your mother's womb he knew you, according to the Bible. Before a day of your life was spoken, spoken, he knew you. With that, act, with that knowledge, with the knowledge that you have a unique role to play in this life, that God has a purpose for you. With that knowledge, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Get ready. Since you, are you saved? That's the first question. If you are saved... This is for you. If you're not saved, then the first step is to give your life to Jesus, to ask him to save you, to ask him to forgive you of your sins. Because you might not know, but God is willing to forgive you of anything that you have ever done. And he is able because of what Jesus did on the cross. There is no bad that you have done that is greater than the good that God has done. There is no bad that you can be that is greater than the goodness that God is. And so God can save you. So if you're not saved and you need him this morning, then you can be saved this morning. Saved meaning you can turn away from your old ways and turn to God and say, God, I don't want this anymore. I want you. I want to live for you. I want to be loved by you. I want to be forgiven by you. I want a relationship with you. You can have that relationship this morning. And if you already have that, and if you are already saved, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, it means being focused, being clear-minded. If you were saved for a purpose, then let's get ready. 
Just as the, the prophets were searching and inquiring about what they were saying, we know what they were saying. We can look back and see how God has saved us. We can have a relationship with him. And because of that, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There will be a day when our salvation will be complete, the end, fully. All of the salvation, all of it, the fullness of it and the reality of it, we will experience one day. We have already experienced the full power of God's salvation and that we will not be judged for anything that we have done where we have been forgiven. For everything that we have done, we are doing, that we will do, our forgiveness is complete. Our salvation is complete in that sense. But the fullness of that, of that glorification of no more pain, no more temptation, no more sin, no more sickness, none of that, we will see that one day. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We know that what was said is true. We know that our salvation is kept for us in heaven. We know all these things. And I said earlier how important knowledge is, but knowledge is not the end. You can know who Jesus Christ is and knowing doesn't save you. If if knowing in itself saved you, then all demons would be saved, right? Because they know that Jesus is God, and yet they're not saved. Knowing is part of the equation. Faith is what saves us. Not just knowing that he is God, but putting our faith in him, becoming his. Faith. And if we have faith, then faith should lead to action. Knowledge is not enough. You can know the right thing to do and not do it. Action is important. So we set our hope fully on what will be accomplished. Verse 14, as obedient children. As obedient children. This is the action. As we're being obedient. As obedient children Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. How many of you are still tempted to do things that do not honor God? Anybody? You guys are some awesome people because I am tempted daily. But we are not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. We are... Not to go back to who we were. If we have been saved, then we have to prepare our minds for action. Get ready. And we are to be focused. We are to be sober-minded. And we are to set our hope on what is to come. Because this life can be hard. It can be distracting. And, And I've been convicted studying this passage this week. Because it is easy for me to dwell on the now at the expense of the future. It is easy for me to dwell on the future at the expense of the now also. But it's easy for me to get caught up in what's happening or not happening right now and forgetting that this is just a day in the journey. That this is just a blip on the radar. That there is more 
to life than just a moment. And yet, we are to value the moments. It's a fine line. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This doesn't just say search and inquire. This doesn't just say gain knowledge. This says do. This says be. Be holy. In all your conduct. I want to reread verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And it's quoting this passage that's mentioned several times throughout the Bible, especially in Leviticus, I think at least three times. And what we see here is the reality of how we should live our lives today. The culmination of what those people, those elect exiles, as the letter was written to them, um, that, that because of the fact of God's great mercy, because of the fact that he gave them salvation and gave them a relationship with him, because of the fact that he has led all of eternity to today, all things have been working together to get us to where we are today. And think of the important things that have happened. The two examples in this passage would be the prophets, them being faithful, them laying a foundation, them telling about what was to come, and then Jesus coming and giving his life for us. Because of that, because of who he is, and all the things in our individual lives that has, have led us right here to this moment today, we are to not just to, to prepare our minds. We are to not just to, to be sober-minded and focused. We're not just to set our hope on what's to come. We are to do all those things. We are to remember all those things. But it goes further. And the conclusion of this is, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We're not living back there. We have been saved from that. We have been spared from that. We don't have to go back to that. Yet, often we do. But we're not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We are to be holy in our conduct. Now, we've already discussed this. We cannot be perfectly holy on this side of eternity. But it should be our focus. It should be our intention. It should be what our actions are day in and day out is to be like Jesus and to be holy. And if we fail, or I should say when we fail, when we fail, what do we do? We ask for forgiveness. We repent. We turn from that. And we continue striving to be holy, to be like Jesus. And how do we know what holiness looks like? We are to be holy as he is holy. We are to be like him. We are to be like Jesus. That's why there are so many people that I come into contact with all the time who say they have so much knowledge about who God is and, and they present themselves as people 
who really know the truth about God, and yet I look at their life, and where is the holiness? Where is the reflection of Jesus in their lives? And so for us today, where is the reflection of Jesus in our lives? It's not enough to just know. We have to be. We have to be holy. And the knowing helps us to get there, but knowing doesn't equal holiness. And so for all of us in here today, we have a choice to make. First, are we followers of Jesus? If not, you can choose to follow him today. If we are followers of Jesus, are we living our lives for him? I don't have to sit here and tell you all of the sins that matter when we think of holiness. If you are in here this morning and there is something that you are struggling with, something that is preventing you from being like Jesus, then you come to him. Don't live according to that former self. Give that over to God. So as we conclude, as we pray, how is God speaking to you this morning? All of eternity has led to this moment right now. Let it be a sacred moment. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love that you have blessed us with life, with babies in our church, that you have brought us to this moment, that there is not one life right now, there is not one person alive in this room right now who is not here for your purpose. And God, I just pray that as we consider all that you have done, as we look at all that you have done in our lives, and as we look at where you have led us, Lord, help us to to leave behind the former ignorance. Help, Help us to leave behind the old selves and the old way of living for ourselves and help us to play a part in this beautiful plan that you are working together for good. God, help us to be like you. Help us to be holy. Help us to love others. Help us to be like Jesus. Whatever we're convicted of right now can just help us to respond with action. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. read the scripture and we read about what God has done for us. We read about how he has led us to this moment. And my question to you this morning is, have you surrendered all? Is there anything that you're holding on to? Is there anything that's preventing you from being holy as God has called us to be holy as he is holy? If there is, let's take one more verse to just surrender that to God. If you need to come down to the altar, then you can do that. If you need to get on your knees or sit down wherever you are, then then feel free to do that. You respond to God in whatever way he's leading you.